Welcome to another episode of the Powerless to Powerful Recovery podcast. My name is Jason. I'm an alcoholic and addict. As always, our mission is to share experience, strength, and hope across multiple media platforms. The story of addiction and the road to recovery. We're not affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous or any other 12-step based organizations or groups in any way. Today's episode, I have a very dear, dear friend, Tony, on the show. But before I introduce Tony, I want to dedicate this episode to one of our fallen brothers, Ronnie Allen. Rest in peace. The disease got a hold of him and, and took a good one out. And I know he's going to be looking down on us. He was a very important part of many, many men's recovery. And it's just important that everyone stays vigilant in their program. Step 10 talks about being complacent and resting on our laurels. Remember, what we have is a daily reprieve. A reprieve is a stay from execution. I have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. And I have to maintain my spiritual condition. I have to maintain my recovery or I'll fall victim to a belief, which practically every alcoholic addict has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline qualifies him to get high again like other men. So this episode's dedicated to a friend. This death hits hard. The fentanyl's out there killing everybody. But this one particular, Ronnie Allen, he was with me from the very, very beginning of my recovery. I just spoke to him last week. Just a devastating loss to the whole North Unit All-Star family. So our prayers go out to his wife, to his family, to his son, and everybody involved. Our prayers just go out. So this episode is dedicated to Ronnie Allen. Rest in peace, brother. So I want to welcome, on a brighter note, I want to welcome Tony to the show. Welcome, Tony. Thanks for having me, Jay. Yeah, this is this is a this is a moment right here, me and you. I mean, we've been through some things together. Yeah, we've been around the block a couple times. <laughs> we've, been around, we've been around the block a couple times. Yeah. And you know, I try to bring on guys that are not only all stars in recovery, that work a solid program, that are out there in the community, that um, you know, their actions match the things that they say, their feet match their lips, because that's extremely important in recovery. But me and you, we go way back. Yeah. So we met, so just the story of how we met. So me and me and Tony, we met back in Florence prison at North Unit. And so I see him, right? And he's in the game and he, you're actually working in education. Weren't yeah. you like, a, you, were, you were slanging out the GED office? Yeah, I was GED tutor. <laughs> you were selling a little dope on the side. Yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, teaching people, what, you were helping them with their math? Yeah. Breaking it down into eight balls? You know, it's all about algebra. <laughs> you know? Breaking it down, is, that's how I do math. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a gram. I know an ounce. That's a quarter pound from there. And then I could break it all the way down from there. But anyway, so I know you and this is before I found recovery and the very so he went home while I was there in the middle of that eight year prison sentence that I that I was on at the time. And the very last time that I spoke to you before you came back, I bought some spice off of you. Right, broad daylight, dude. You were salty. Couldn't even wait to go back to your house. Yeah, trying to hand me money all in front of the cops and everything. It was savage. <laughs> Just broad, savage. broad daylight. We were right in front of Baker, one on that little walkway, dude. I'll never forget it, dude. The look you had in your eye, dude. And he's and he's a big guy. Just just saying, he's a bigger dude, you know. And if you guys know my story, I like to think I'm a tough guy, but I'm not. Owen seventy four. Owen seventy four now, brother. <laughs> Owen seventy four. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so I see Tony. I do actually do a drug deal with him, and uh, and then he gets released. I think that same day or that very next day. Or no, it was a little bit later. They were sending me to a different yard that time. Oh, and then uh, you got and then you got released from another yeah, yard. Got released from so he got moved, and uh, you know I didn't see him for a period of time. Now fast forward almost a year and a half, two years later, you know, I had changed my life. You guys have heard my story and I started working a program of recovery and just my life completely changed. And the same cops that 
or, uh, you know, sending the dogs and raiding my, my run. And, and, you know, I'm getting high speed foot chases with these cops, those same cops now because of a higher power ending to my heart and performing a miracle were allowing me to speak at orientation every Friday. So almost for a two year period, I spoke to every single newcomer that touched down on that yard and I brought the message of recovery, talked about the moderate treatment substance abuse group that I, that, that I taught. And actually Tony was a part of that as well. Shout out Miss Franz. And, uh, you know, so I was in orientation like I did every would do every single Friday. And I was in there giving them a halftime speech at the Super Bowl, just full throttle recovery, get busy living, get busy dying. Who's coming with me? You know, just all the way turned up. And I look out to the crowd and I see him and I said, damn, well, he goes by Vegas. So I'm like, there's Vegas right there. And uh, he approached me afterwards and he, he was looking at me like he was like, like I was just faking the funk or he didn't know if he was getting punked or he didn't know what he couldn't even believe what he was seeing. And I'll let him tell the story in a second. And so what ends up happening from there is he gets to his first meeting and then the rest is history, which will close the second part, part two, the episode. We'll talk a lot about that. But how do you remember that moment? When I saw you after those years, um, I was just I was at a bottom myself and I was looking at you like. Like you have to have an angle like this guy has to be playing an angle right now because I know Jason and he's not here without playing some sort of angle. But you are literally glowing, bro, like you're glowing like the chosen one or something, you know, and I was like, I mean, I was just interested, like I had to know what was going on. And that's kind of what started my thirst for recovery. When you started talking about recovery, I was like, OK, well, what's this recovery you're speaking of? Like, And not to mention you've been up for 24 hours, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that was uh, one of those nights, you know? Like, like shit those, got weird in the tents those, again. Those couple days, yeah, shit was real weird. About, about 3 a.m. that morning, uh, I was high as giraffe pussy, sitting <laughs> on my bunk, and I was like, man, this is enough. Like, I've had enough, you know? So you were on another yard, and you are on Steiner, and, you know, you get, you know, you have this, this, uh, this resolution that I'm going to get to the new yard. I'm not going to get high. I'm going to change my life. I got to get it right this time. I'm getting older. I got a son out there. I got to be a good father. I want to do all these things. And we could, all those things that we believe, if we're not working a program recovery, well, our actions will never line up with them. And so you had this res firm resolution not to do it again. And Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like my mind was made up. I knew that if I hit North Unit again, I was taking advantage of all the programs, all the groups, anything I could do to better myself. And as soon as I hit the yard and someone said, hey, Vegas, you still messing around. I'm like, uh, kind of. Yep. You know? Not really. How much? Yeah. Let me in. see it. Yeah. Meat on the bone. Did that. I uh, need know? that. But I, I did have that firm resolve that we're yeah. talking about. You know, yeah. like, I knew that I didn't want to do that. And so, and, you, and so you were up all night contemplating your life, yeah. decisions that you made. Then you show up to orientation because it's mandatory. Yeah. And there you see me in there. And blow your hair back. Well, you don't have any hair in your balls, but <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna know about all that. Blew the goatee back, and uh, you know, and, and I said, "Look, you know, we got a meeting tonight, man. There's a, there's a meeting tonight. There's a bunch of guys. It's a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. You should come." That meeting was life changing. That meeting was life changing, and I'll never forget. We were reading the beginning readings, and you got halfway through, and you just broke down, dude. That emotion. And anytime I ever see anyone cry or have tears in their eyes in, in meetings at my service commitments, at work, anytime I see that in their eyes, that gets me excited because it tells me that they're experiencing some pain in their life. And it's all about that pain. Once we've had enough, it says in the big book, most, most alcoholics have to be pretty badly mangled before they commence to solve their problems and get any type of results. And so I love seeing that. 
and we're you know you're still an emotional dude and so am i and so you I'll know cry over a macaroni and cheese commercial like, you know, <laughs> self-proclaimed cry baby <laughs> that's what it is you know? but we get a feel today dude and that's that's what it's all about experiencing life feeling our emotions dude and sharing our genuine feelings with each other that's what intimacy really is the genuine sharing of one's true self with another and so our journey really takes place from there with recovery and the miracles and the blessings that have continued to rain down upon your life. And like I said in the beginning, I like to bring recovery all-stars on. You truly are an all-star in the recovery community in so many ways. But your journey doesn't start there, right? It starts way, way back when. So let's get back to the beginning and kind of kind of share your experience, strength, and hope just so you can relate to the audience. we got listeners all across the world. And I hope you guys hear something today that really touches you. And so you were born in Seattle. What's the family dynamic like that? You know, obviously I sponsored you, so I know your story. You, you speak all across the valley constantly. I've heard it many times. But what was that, the trauma, the abuse, there was a suicide temp in there, the family dynamic with your pops. What was that time like in the beginning uh, growing up in Seattle? Well, in the beginning, uh, you know, my dad had about 18 kids 18? altogether. 18 piece 18 piece bro like the whole family was that three basketball teams i'm not good at math but that's uh yeah that's three basketball teams and some and some subs six players of the year yeah six man of the year awards okay all right so you got 18 kids um he married a lady and she had some kids of her own and uh but i grew up like in like this split house because at home you know it would be my stepmom and her kids and then um my half brothers and sisters were all like 15, 20 years older than me, you know? So, uh, and I don't know all of them. Like I just grew up with a handful of them, mm-hmm. but um, so half of the time I'd be with my dad. And then some of the time I'd be like with my brothers and sisters and their mom. And um, my, my stepmom, um, she just had some issues, I guess, you know, like uh, she wasn't, she wasn't very good to me. So um, I was abused a lot. Like, um, mentally like emotionally like uh physically a lot you know and um the only escape i had from that abuse in the house was when i'd escape to my my brothers and sisters house you know and um although my brothers and sisters were all like pimps and prostitutes and drug dealers and things of that nature that was what i saw as being positive because at least i wasn't being beaten over there you know so um I went through that, you know, in my, my super young years, like up until about the third grade, you know, my dad, I was always scared to death to let my dad know like what was going on with this lady whenever he wasn't around, like she was beating me. So, um, nobody really knew. And you used to actually, when you would come home from school, you wouldn't go straight home because you didn't want to be alone with your stepmom. So you'd actually wait down the street or go out or by the side of the house until your dad came home. And then you would come home and you would rather get in trouble by your dad than experience the abuse that your stepmom. Yeah, uh, that happened. Um, I I was supposed to come straight home from school after school, just like any little kid. And um, I'd find different friends to go hang out with, or I'd, you know, sometimes go to Hutchinson, the community center on the south end of Seattle. Or sometimes if I didn't have anywhere else to go, I'd just hide behind the house until my dad got home because I'd rather get whooped with a belt by my dad than get beat up by this lady. You know? Sure. And I mean, that's just something wild for a kid to have to deal with, you know? So I got to that point in about the third grade where um, I got tired of catching all those ass whoopings and being called all those names and everything. So um, one day, it was a summer day, right after the third grade, that summer, 
like I, I tied a rope around my neck. I went out, went out to the back porch and tied the other end off the porch and I jumped. You know, a third grader just fed up with life. Already a third grade. In the third grade. But, you know, the rope was too long. Thank God for third grade logic. You yeah. Know, we're still here. Still in the game, you yeah. know. But, um, yeah, I did that, though. That happened, you know. Like, and, and for a child to already be, like, at his wit's end. In third know, grade. Life, in the third grade. That was crazy. Yeah. The trauma, the abuse, the suicide attempts. And we're talking even before you even touched down in fifth grade. We're talking super young. And your role models are pimps and prostitutes, and that's what you see, and they got money and all these things. And I know that plays a role in your story as we continue to move forward through it. But we always think about those things and the trauma that we experience as kids. And that's not my experience, but you know, a lot of men ha and women have that, that type of experience, and it plays such a profound effect on them and the things that they learn and the characteristics they adopt and and the learned behaviors that come from that, dude. It's 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 something that's mind blowing at times. And I know you've experienced a ton of it. So in fifth grade, you moved to Las Vegas. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, in the fifth grade, um, my dad and my stepmom decided we were moving to Vegas. So my dad had worked actually as a drug and alcohol treatment counselor for adolescents, up, you know, through my whole childhood. Um, at that point, we went to Vegas and um, we get down there and um, it just seems like awesome. You know, like it's a whole clean slate. Like I'm not in Seattle anymore. I'm in this new place. And we were moving into an apartment and um, my dad was moving all the furniture in by himself. And he ended up having a, a stroke because of the heat, you know, and he was already a little bit older. And um, I had no idea how bad this was going to affect me, but um, it crippled him. Like he lost a lot of his memory. He became disabled. Like he couldn't really take care of me anymore he couldn't work or anything after that and um at that point like it was like so now you're left solely in the care of your stepmom well what happened was my my godmother my brother and sister's mom my godmother myrna was in vegas so my stepmom decided her and my dad were going to move back to seattle so i stayed in vegas with my godmother because like i said before like i didn't want to be isolated with that lady like and now i knew like there would be no reprieve from those ass weapons you know sure so i stayed in vegas for a couple years um and ultimately like you know i ended up moving back to seattle with my stepmom and my dad because i missed my dad yeah. you know so um i go back up there and then shit got real you know like now I was always stuck around that lady, you know, um, I was treated bad, you know, there was, I was like the dirty kid. You know? So they would buy all of her kids, brand new Christmas presents, school clothes, new shoes, and they would buy you the hand-me-downs. Yeah. You yeah. remember you telling me that, right? The, the seventh grade, like, uh, we had went on uh, school shopping and, um, Everybody was going to the mall, like my brother Herschel, and everyone was going to the mall to get their school clothes. And she took me to Goodwill and bought me a garbage bag full of these sweatshirts with a teddy bear on it. And they were like all different colors. Like Kanye West teddy bear type stuff? No, not Yeezus. Oh, like no, it was oh, nothing oh, easy okay. about right. this. Like, yeah, they were just, it was like teal blue. And like, it was like some purple ones and pink ones. And that was my seventh grade. Oh, year, you got you your know? pastel on. Did that, you know? <laughs> But actually that year, um, my brother George showed up at the door one day and caught my stepmom beating me. And uh, and that changed the game a little bit because, uh, you know, he, she always put up this facade around my brothers and sisters and everything. And once he um, once he caught her in the act, then he took me out of the situation for a little while. And I'm grateful for that. Sure. You know? And so you bounced around from Seattle to Wyoming to Las Vegas, and you're just kind of bouncing around. And I mean, how many different schools did you go to? 
uh, went to a different school like every couple years. Like I was never in a single school for three years. Um, just first semester, sometimes I'd be in Seattle. Sometimes I'd be in Vegas. Like second semester, I'd be in Wyoming. Or, you know, I never knew where I was going to be. Like um, I got social security checks, and I think that was a big reason. My, my from your dad passing, around. right? Yeah, from my dad being sick. Like I got social security checks, and I and that check was like, a part of the package, you know, yeah. like, oh, let Tony come. Because he's got he, that money. He got that cheese, yeah. you know? Yeah, he's... And, um, but, you know, like, yeah, like, that happened, you know? And uh, uh, come, you know, my senior year of high school, you know, because I had football dreams, you know, mm-hmm. I was going to make it to the NFL. That was going to be my way out, you know? Just like any kid from the hood, um, you know, senior year, I realized that a lot more work goes into yeah, that. It's sure. not just going to snap your fingers and, and, and be in the it, league, you know? yeah. Yeah. So, um. Once my senior year of football was over, then school was over. And the dream was gone. Dream was done. And that's crushing. I yeah. know from my own experience playing soccer, you know, when when that dream was gone. And, you know, the truth is, is that I never took care of my body, dude. I just didn't take care of myself. If I would have, then I wouldn't have had so many injuries. And so I like to blame other people and I like to blame other things and how I got done wrong. But the truth is, is I never took care of myself. And I had those same dreams. And it's crushing when that dream's gone. Mm-hmm. So that dream's gone senior year. And where do you go then? Well, it was wet in Seattle, so I decided to go to Vegas. And you're pretty much homeless at this time, pretty much your whole senior year, right? Yeah, just taking I, showers I stayed, at the. I stayed with my coach, like during the oh, football your coach? season, my head football coach. But then after that, like after football was over, like you know, there was no more being around the coach, or you know, I'd find different people to stay with. Mostly like my homeboy Reese, like I'd stay with him, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I was just out in limbo though, and then uh. I was just tired of being wet and cold and homeless. So I was like, well, let's go to Vegas. You know, I got family there. But the last idea I had of my family in Vegas was everybody was balling. Like, they were all pimps and they're all, you know, doing their thing. I get back and they're all strung out. And, like, shit's real now. Like, Tony <laughs> gets to figure it out, you know. So that's where the alcohol started. And that's when it really started. I know you party a little bit in high school, like pretty much most high school kids do, but football was your thing. Mm -hmm. So now football's not there. Now you move back to a situation where at least it's the sun's out, but you're in Vegas and the same family that when you, when you seen them last, were driving Cadillacs, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're Mm -hmm. doing big things. And then you show up and it ain't the same. It's all bad, bro. Like their disease had got a hold of them, you know, this is all that I've learned later, Mm -hmm. but, um, they were going through it, you know, and, uh, and I had to find a way to fend for myself, like with no tools, you know? So I started to drink and, uh, I, I never had like that, that anger inside of me, like that violence. It was never like, like natural for me. So when I drank, like, it helped me to build this facade, like, I don't care, like, you know, I'm tough. Like, I thought that if I instilled fear into the neighborhood from fighting all drunk, then that was going to give me respect, and I, I was a man. And what was your nickname? Killer. Killer. <laughs> Actually, it started off young Killer Yeah. then it progressed, you know, it condensed, you know, and ultimately, like, Killer was born, you know, and... um. And you're, like, the most gentle soul to, to have that. So when you say that the alcohol gave you that... Um, that aggression dude, to to be able to do those things that I fully believe that and then to have the name killer yeah yeah <laughs> like it just it doesn't make sense these days you know people still call it oh what's up killer I'm like yeah all right like, <laughs> not so much bro like you know medicated medicated cotton soft yeah know? but um but yeah that that happened you know and then uh ultimately like all that led me to was getting shot you know like um 
uh, was Christmas of 99. I was 21, just about to be 21. And um, one of those drunken stupors, like, you know, just come out of a blackout. Someone was um, telling me that they were getting jumped and I was going to go fight their fight. And I stumbled into a store to go fight and I ended up getting shot in my stomach. You got shot one time? One time, yeah. And, uh, Do you remember what that was like when you got shot? Scary. Like, people ask if it burned. Like, hell yeah, it burned. I got shot in my stomach. Yeah, it <laughs> fucking hurt, you know? But um, but mostly it was just that fear. You know, I remember um, I remember stopping for a minute. Like, you know, I, cause I had to run out of the store. Like, I jumped up after I got shot. I run out of the store. Like, my homegirl tells me that I got shot. And um, I look down. I see the bullet holes. Like, my friend Priscilla was going crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm running across the street. And then I had, like, a moment of clarity where I was like, I'm either going to die and go to heaven or I'll live and be all right, you know? And um, it was just scary. I wouldn't even cuss. Like, I I didn't even want to cuss because I knew I was seeing God soon. Yeah. And I wouldn't even cuss. You don't want to take no chances. You already took too many. At all. Like, you know, we might already burn all of our, you know, little little chances, you know. So did you get rushed to the hospital or? Uh, The paramedics showed up. They um, cut my clothes off me. The funny part was I had on a pair of J's or a pair of Griffies. It was a pair of Griffies. Mm -hmm. I just got them. They're all white and baby blue. And I take my shoes off. And my boy Snow's like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, oh I don't want to get blood on my shoes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm sitting here dying. I don't want to get blood on my shoes. And you're a shoe guy. Yeah. So it checks know? out. Yeah, we do that, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like, I go to the hospital. And um, when I woke up that next morning, that was when I finally cried because nobody was in the hospital. You, you woke know? up all alone. Woke up alone, you know? And uh, that was a real scary feeling right there. And so you get shot and talking about 99 Christmas, you get shot in the stomach, fighting a fight, drunk, but not even your fight. You wake up in the hospital, you're all alone. You've been experiencing abuse and trauma your whole entire life, living on the streets. And then you're living in a house with a bunch of addicts, trying to figure out your way. You got no job skills. So you activate. I activate. Oh, you activate, brother. Still with staples in my stomach. Like my boy fly. So when we say, so when we say activate, what's that mean? Um, I just decided that, that the drunken fights weren't going to get me there. I needed to get money. So I decided to start selling dope, you know, and that was So really you flipped the script. Flipped the whole script. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, like I, I, I was sitting in that house scared for a couple weeks. And then I just realized, like, I had to get out there and get my cheese, you know. So um, I pulled on my big boy, big boy pants and I got out on the block and I started grinding. And you started hustling, you started selling dope, you started, you know, you became that guy in the streets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, um, I, I I replaced that alcohol with selling drugs. And that was okay, though, you know, like, like in my head, like that, that, that was perfectly okay, as long as I wasn't drinking and fighting and, and doing stuff like that. And I was selling drugs, and I was getting money, then I was being a man, and, and there was nothing wrong with that, you know. So I traded a negative habit for a negative yeah, habit. So it's, it becomes a new addiction and you get addicted to that lifestyle to the fast money. I mean, you used to go to the casino and I know you want a ton of money at the casinos, blowing tons of money at the casinos. Man. And I, and I talk about like, I was this drug dealer, but anyone who's ever heard my story, I was always hustling backwards because I was such a people pleaser. I just wanted you to like me so much that I just give you the best deal in town <laughs> just so you'll <laughs> call me and like me. So yeah, I, I was yeah. always in the red, brother. I never even seen green. I never even seen it, you know. But the truth is, is you actually made some bread. You made some money. I got some cheese. I, I fucked it all up. Sure. You know, like, I, I, 
I fucked it all off, but yeah, I, I ran through some money. I was having the diamond chains and, you know, the nice cars and, you know, all these women were around me, you know, and, um, and yeah, like I really, I really climbed my way up through the ranks, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, you're making some money, you know, and just like everything, it goes so good till it goes so bad. Now, this period of time when you were selling dope and drugs and, you know, you weren't even really using to be honest, you weren't really even using, you were just stacking bread and, and became, became that guy in the hood. And, uh, you know, this goes on for 14 years. You had a good run. I mean, we're talking in and out of County jail bids, mm -hmm. you spent some time in County ups and downs. It was a roller coaster. You know, sometimes I might be doing bad and next day I'd be doing good, but yeah, pretty much, you know, over the next 14 years, like it was, it was the game, you know, uh, in the middle of it. That's when fly got murdered. Um, I had, I had my my times like my moments of clarity when I wanted to walk away, you know, like I knew that I knew what it was leading me to, you know, uh, the more that I climbed up the ladder and and was on my way to becoming like the apex predator. Like I realized what what that entailed and, and I didn't really want it, you know, the closer that I got, I realized I didn't want it. And then um, like 2006, uh, I decided I was just going to leave. I went to New Mexico started going to school out there. Like I was working in a daycare. I met this new chick that became my higher power. You know, oh, everything yeah. was gonna be good. Uh-huh. You know? And um while I was out there, I realized that, you know, well, I didn't really want that either. Like yeah. I still wanted that money. And um I had left my boy flying when one of my other buddies running my business. They set fly up and killed him. You know? So you experienced the death. And what was that like? Do you remember what it was like when you got that phone call? That was a dark day, bro. Like, um, I, my heart broke, you know, I was, I was right in the middle of talking to this girl about coming back to Vegas and I was going to start this growing weed, like, you know, little venture. And she asked me who I was going to have watched. And I was like, fly, like who else? Like fly, do anything for me. And right when I said that, his mom called me and said that he had got killed. It didn't even register in my mind that he was dead. I kept hearing he got shot in his leg and fell out of the car. I just went into shock. And then um, after that, like the madness ensued, you know. So you were, you know, you ultimately you were trying to get out of the game man. you were trying to break away from it. But what ends up happening is now you got to go back. Double and it, down. And it pulls you right in. So you double that, you double back down into the game. So again, you know, fly gets killed, right? It's your best friend. It's your best friend. I know it's still an emotional topic. And, you know, so now if we're just, you know, looking at all this, all the things that have happened, the trauma, the suicide attempts, the abuse, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all the abuse that you've taken and being homeless and getting shot, right? Now your best friend gets murdered when you leave the business to him. And ultimately, you have to go back, right? So you get drawn back into the game and you move back. And now at this time, though, the game, the game changes again. Now you're experiencing anxiety. You got some PTSD from being shot, from your best friend getting murdered, from all the things that happened to you in your childhood. And now your addiction starts to take off. So why don't you share a little bit about what it was like when you went back? Well, when I went back, I had, I already had anxiety problems. Like I just found a way to fight through them. After Fly, the anxiety was so thick. Like, I really just felt like I was going to lose it, you know? And someone introduced me to Xanax. I started taking Xanax. You're talking I, about the bars or the footballs? Oh, just the footballs. Bro. We oh. started off small. Oh, you started you know? off small? <laughs> yeah, we yeah. started off small. You know, uh, they gave me a couple footballs, and I was all right. 
And then I went to the doctor. I got a script from the doctor. And, you know, the bottle says take one pill daily or as needed. So I take a football every two hours. As needed. I need it. I needed that, you mm -hmm. know. And then ultimately, like, graduated. I was never the take 10 bars at a time guy. Like, I take a half a bar every couple hours. Well, because you're still day. hustling on the streets, and we're talking about a dangerous game that you're in. Yeah, yeah. So you can't, so, you can't be blacked out. Yeah, I can't be blacked out, but I was always kind of a zombie. Like, it was just so crazy. All I do is drink Coca-Cola all day long and pop a half a Zanny bar, but I still wasn't as bad as the drug addicts. You know what I mean? Like, because I'm taking these pills. They're from the doctor. Like, it's fine. Like... You know, I didn't I didn't see anything wrong with it. You and you know? took you started taking some other pills prescribed by a doctor too, right? Oh yeah, I got a tooth pulled. Get a tooth pulled. And then I got introduced to Vicodin. Uh oh. Lortab. So uh, I take this the Lortab. The blues or the white ones? The blues, bro. Oh, so, the M three nineties? Yeah. Oh yeah. Watson's yeah. big boys, you <laughs> yeah. know. So yeah. <laughs> we start popping the the Lortabs and and like I said, like these come from the doctor. It's all so good. I'm not a crackhead. No, you know, I'm not a junkie. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm. This is this I mean, is fine. I mean, granted, like no bottle says take ten more times at a time. You know, that's not how I looked at it, bro. Like I, I just stayed in these pharmaceutical drug stupors, just functioning and selling dope all day, and then at the casino gambling all night. You know, what's the biggest you ever hit at the casino? Hundred racks. Hundred grand. Yeah. What'd you do with it? Fucked it off. Gave it back? No, not straight away. Like, usually I, I'd hit a big one, 20, 30, 40, 50 racks. I'll go re-up, and then slowly we give it back. Yeah, you know oh, I mean? oh, on the installment plan. Yeah, you know? Like, <laughs> that's how it stretched out over a decade, you know? Yeah. And so, man, you were hustling for a long time. But in 2012, you go to county jail, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 2011, 2012, yeah, I go to county jail. And, um, you know, I had got married in 2008. So while I was in county jail, someone introduced me to a Bible. And I don't know about you, but every time, like, I read the Bible, like, whatever I'm doing wrong is, like, standing out to me. Sure. So I start reading this Bible, and everything's about adultery and blah, 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 and all this stuff. So I, I make a choice. You know, I'm like, I'm done with all these women. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this whole lifestyle. Like, I have to focus on my wife and my marriage and my kids and and I got to make this work because you know God's looking at me you know so as long as I pray and I read this bible everything's going to be fine so I decided to quit the game I got out of jail and I came down to Arizona and and started uh started doing my best to be a square you know how that work out for you it didn't <laughs> it absolutely didn't like uh I started to drink a little bit more. Like uh, now, you know, the alcohol is really becoming a problem again. Like uh, I actually ended up in the hospital, just super depressed. Like didn't know what was going on. Like, I don't know how I can't make it. You know, I didn't have any tools, bro. I had no skills. So, um, I mean, I, have you ever had a real job other than the one you have now? Oh, I know you worked at Cricket. We'll talk about that in a second. I sold magazines off. The oh, the magazine. Forgot about the magazine. Oh, crew, the you know, door knocker. Oh, it all. I just connected the dots, brother. Door to door across America. Uh, he's a door to door guy. You already know what it is. <laughs> Lie, cheat, manipulate, steal. Main character defects. Ah, <laughs> yes, it is. You know, <laughs> I did that. But yeah, no, no, I haven't. Like, I'm sure. So now you want to go straight. You want to be a family man. You want to be, you know, everything that you're reading in the Bible and you have these morals and these values that you want to live by, but you don't have the tools. You don't have the skills. You've never seen it from any of the main figures in your life. And so how do we expect to be able to do that? We haven't learned those things yet. So that doesn't last for very long. And you get back into the game. 
mm-hmm, get back in the game. And, um, and it's just, it's rough now, you know, because now I'm on foreign soil. I'm out here in Arizona. I don't know anybody. Things are just going really sideways, you know, in my relationship and my marriage and everything. Like, um, I'm just out here lost, you know, no direction, no nothing. And then, uh, ultimately like, uh, this dude like runs me over with a truck, you know, 2014, like, uh, he owed me some money and he got scared and he thought I was going to do something to him. Oh, you probably were. I, I, I can't <laughs> confirm nor deny, you know, <laughs> you know, I might've been about to do something, but you know, I don't know. I didn't get the chance. Yeah. He ran me over. But yeah. He, but what was that? Share that whole story. How does it all happen? Well, um, you know, the, the guy, I left a Seahawks jersey at his house, bro. Like, I what, left a Seahawks Which player? Sean Alexander. Okay. Like, was running Sean back? Alexander jersey. Oh, running yeah. back? Yeah, you know, young okay. tailback. Uh-huh. And um, I, I I leave the house. Was it at least a real jersey? It was authenticated real or was it, it bootleg? It was a playoff jersey. Oh, you know? okay. All right. So um, I call the dude and I, I'm trying to get my jersey, but, you know, the dude's like, all messed up like you know he he was working for me and he got strung out on heroin mm-hmm. and i was over there trying to console him when i took off the jersey because i figured i could get this guy to detox and clean him up mm-hmm. you know so he can make you more money so he can make me more <laughs> money you know like there's motives so anyways I, I leave the jersey over there like i call him to try to get the jersey back and he doesn't want to answer his phone so it's really ironic i told him i was going to break his jaw right Mm-hmm. That night, he sends the cops to my house. The cops show up at the house. Jordan comes and wakes me up. Daddy, the cops are outside. I'm like, what the hell? So I go outside. He's out there with the cops, his aunt, his uncle, all kinds of people. And I'm just like, wow, like you brought the cops to my house. He's like, I'm afraid for my life, which like maybe he should have been. You know, I was yeah. tripping back then. Yeah. So um, I don't see him for a couple months. I decided to chalk it up. A couple months later, me and my uh, my son's mother are arguing. I leave the house walking. And uh, I walk through an apartment complex, and I see him sitting in his truck. So I walk up to the truck, and the last thing I remember is me asking, like, hey, bro, can I get well, get this jersey back? Well, that's not the last thing I remember. Like, I remember him slamming on the gas and hitting me and dragging me 500 feet. 500 feet? 500 feet. And then he stopped the truck. I thought he was stopping because I was caught underneath it. I saw the wheels turn, and I couldn't believe it. Like, these tires were coming through my face. I put up my arm to cover my face, and he ran over my body, my arm, my face, and took off. So I jump up after I got mangled by a truck. I'm leaking from everywhere. And um, my son's mom uh, finds me like that, you know? Yeah. When he hit me, I was on the phone with her. She heard him admit to his mom that he had ran me over, and she came down and found me. What type me. of injuries did you have? Uh, 47 fractures. I crushed my face, like broke my jaw backwards. Um, sep- completely separated my elbow, like uh there was 27 percent of my body was burnt third degree burns from the road rash i was in a coma for about three weeks damn yeah that happened so i mean just quick recap here run over by a car mangled 500 feet you get drug you've been shot in the stomach right you got shot uh trauma abuse i mean what are we even talking about here it's a fucking miracle that you're here today more than a miracle. More than a miracle. This is, this is more like God really put his hand in my life, you know? And your actions today, you know, now we start to see why we made it through the things and the, the situations that we've been in. When we align our actions with God's will and do our part, we get to see his plan the whole time. Mm-hmm. And that's the miracle of recovery. But we got to put our action in. I can't just lay in my bed and pray no. for a better life. I got to get out there and put that footwork in. Yeah. 
And that's what you do today. You put the footwork in. So you're in the hospital. You're in a coma. How long were you actually in the hospital for? I was I was on I was in the hospital for close to a month. Um, when I woke up out of the coma, it was actually right before the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl and you know got us a win. You know. No, oh, that wasn't that Tom Brady or the Super Bowl loss. We don't really it's talk a pick about in the end that, zone. But anyways, shout yeah, out Malcolm we Butler. Won that year shout out Malcolm Peyton Butler. Manning and them. You know, oh yeah, okay. Uh, this ain't the place for this argument. But anyways, <laughs> so I come out of the coma and um, I can't even talk, bro. Like uh, my jaw's wired shut. Like um, I have a trach in my throat. I literally can't talk. And um, I just remember being so scared. Like this is it, you know. And uh, I I remember them bringing me a piece of paper and a pen to like because I was like, you know, I need to write something. And um, and they. They like took the paper from me or whatever. And would you want like, some ice chips? No, I probably wanted some Xanax. Yeah. <laughs> the anxiety was a little high. Yeah, yeah the anxiety was <laughs> a little high. But all that was on the paper was just some squiggly lines. Like I couldn't write, you know, couldn't couldn't write, couldn't talk, couldn't communicate anything. And um, they just started pumping me full of of opiates. And that's know? where the game changes completely. That's where all hell broke loose, you know. So I um I get out of the hospital. And uh, I'm completely mangled, you know. And um, they give me liquid oxy. They give me 240 30s. Like, I still have a bunch of 30s from selling dope, you know, from before I went to the hospital. Um, Percocet became my life, you know. I'd wake up in the morning. I'd put some in my mouth to dissolve, you know, wait 20 minutes, go out and sit in the sun, take a couple more, snort a few. Like, pretty soon I'm up to, like, you know, between – 10 15 pills a day you know that's a hard habit to maintain sure ultimately it led to heroin you know yeah and it happens that quick and you don't see you know so many times you know you hear people and it, it starts with prescription medication whether it's prescribed from a doctor through an injury or toothache whether it's finding some in your parents medicine cabinet and trying them it always will start there but again they're so damn expensive mm-hmm. and tolerance builds up so damn fast that before you know it, you go to heroin just mainly because it's cheaper. Yeah. And it works yeah. the same, right? Because yeah. physical withdrawal, you know, Joe, if you were willing to do anything, it becomes by any means necessary when you're experiencing the withdrawal. And when we talk about it, when we finally get into the steps and we look at the mental obsession, the physical allergy, and that craving, and the physical dependence, that once we start, we can't stop. Then you throw a dependency on top of it. And it's just, it's a shit show from there on out. And so ultimately, that leads you to prison in Arizona. Yeah, um, 2014 was a rough year. I caught like seven or eight felonies that year, like uh, mostly possession charges, like a couple sales charges, illegal use of electronic device, a domestic violence charge. Like that all happened that year, you know, and then I, I ultimately landed in, in prison. And, um, and that was rough, you know, it's my first time going to prison. I'm like 35 years old, like, um, you know, I end up getting divorced while I'm down. Like Ooh, that's a that's a tough one. Yeah, like you know, I couldn't and I couldn't believe it. Yeah, like, you were shocked. How dare you divorce yeah. me after <laughs> everything I haven't done for you? You know, like uh, I was outraged. You know, like um, I couldn't believe why nobody wanted to put money on my books. Why nobody wanted to help me? You know, like I couldn't. I was fucking outraged. You know, yeah, you're baffled. How dare you? How not dare do those Don't things. you know who I am? Yeah, don't you know you who know? I think I am? Like and. And, uh, yeah, I just skated through that time. Like, I didn't really learn a lesson or anything. And um, 
I mean, you know, I met you along the way. You know, we did that. So in 2015, you do a three and a half year prison sentence. And that's where we started this episode. And we talked about, I mean, you were in the game on the yard. You were hustling to, to, to have food, to have TV. I mean, you didn't get any money on your books. You hustled the whole time. Maybe did George put money on your books occasionally? My mom did your mom. a few times. Let's, let's, let's shout out to mom. So you, who, your mom, let's have a big shout out to moms. How did that whole situation happen? Before we get ahead of everything, shout out to mom. Who is mom? Mom's Janet Turner. Janet Turner. Uh, I was about 15 years old, walking home from a football game in Vegas, and um, mom just lived in the neighborhood, you know. And she has she has a son a little bit younger than me, and um, I guess she I don't remember this. Yeah. Like she picked me up on the way home. I was limping a little bit. She took me to uh, to Savons to go buy some foot rubs and foot creams, athlete's foot, you know. Yeah. Like she just fell in love with me. Like um. My one of my my brother in laws was a booster. He used to go sell her hot stuff, and I sold I sold weed for one of her people. You know, yeah. when I was younger, and uh, over the years, she just kind of started taking me as a son. You know, and um, all these years later, from fifteen till forty three, like that's she, mom. She's my mom. Like she birthed me. She's she's been through all this shit. You yeah, know? big uh, shout out. I couldn't forget. We couldn't forget to shout out mom. I I love that lady. <laughs> like, that's. She's from God, seriously. Sure, absolutely. So big shout out to her. I didn't want to forget that. So yeah, Ma and and my sister, you know, like towards the end of that first sentence, like I I was really stubborn and I wasn't talking to anyone and stuff. My sister started looking out a little bit. But yeah, besides that, like there was nobody that first bid, you know. There's nobody. No. So you had to hustle your whole the whole time you were there, and that's when we met. And so you get released in uh 2018. And you're only out for 11 months. And I want to close this episode with that. I want to just close this episode, part one. Think about everything that he's been through. I want you to really listen to this episode. We're talking about getting drugged by a vehicle, being shot, being homeless. We're talking about trauma, mental abuse, physical abuse, out in the rain in Seattle, living with football coaches, football dreams. They're shattered, right? We're talking about all these different things. I really want all my listeners, everyone who follows me, big shout out to all my listeners out there. I want you to really just think about everything that this man's been through because part two, part two is the miracle. Part two is the promises. Part two is the blessings that rain down on you in that pink cloud that just comes into your life when you finally start doing the right thing. You can call it God. You can call it laws of attraction. You can call it the karmic cycle, the spirit of the universe. You can call it creative intelligence. You can call it whatever you choose to call it, your own conception, if you will. But what happens is, is a miracle takes place. So part two will be dropping in two days after this episode. Tune into part two and witness a miracle.